listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Thanks so much, Alvin and the rest. That was great, wasn't it? Love some James Taylor. Um, And... Lest, lest you think I'm just being indulgent when I have us do these type of songs. You know, hey, we have some great musicians. I like music a lot. We should do it in church. I want to reread um, one verse from the call to worship this morning. So Leslie read us this earlier out of Isaiah 43. I'm just going to read the third verse. It says, for I am the Lord your God. Well, no, nope, I'm going to read verse 2. When you pass through the waters... Wouldn't it be nice if he said, if you pass through the waters, right? Like it may happen, it may not. (laughs) But it doesn't say that. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. That's, That's the promise that comes from Isaiah, I think, to all of us today. When we go, when we pass through the waters, it will not overwhelm us. The the rivers will not destroy us. The fire will not consume us. And I get it. We've all seen fire and we've seen rain. We've seen lonely times. And in a way, this is what I think uh, part of the message of Epiphany is about. So this past Thursday was Epiphany. It's a... uh, calendar or a holiday on the church calendar and it celebrates the epiphany or the revelation that Jesus is the son of God and that Jesus is the Messiah and this event uh, that event kind of celebrates uh, the baptism of Jesus because it was at Jesus's baptism that he heard the words Leslie read us this too out of Luke you are my son the beloved and you I'm well pleased So today, the first Sunday after baptism, celebrates the baptism of Jesus, and this past Thursday was Epiphany. Now, um, some cultures also celebrate January the 6th as Three Kings Day. Um, Any of you come from families that celebrate Three Kings Day? No? Yeah? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Yeah, several of you. So Three Kings Day is kind of remembering the Magi, and they come to Jesus as a child, and they kind of give him the gifts. In the East, Eastern churches actually celebrate January the 6th as Christmas Day. We're not on exactly the same, on exactly the same calendar. But here uh, in Luke, it's interesting to note, I think, that it says, When Jesus comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, he hears the voice from heaven say, You are my son, the beloved. In you I am pleased. It's not so much an announcement, right? It's not, it's not an announcement to all who are present, right? It's not the voice of James Earl Jones or Charlton Heston saying, this is my son, the beloved, <laughs> right? We will get that later in Luke. It's on the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus goes up with Peter, James, and John, and it says Jesus is transfigured into um, like a, a person of light, And they see with him Moses and Elijah, and a voice comes from the cloud, says, this is my son. It's more of an announcement. Obey him. (laughs) 
do what he says. But this is, this is and, and Mark does the same thing, but in Luke, it sounds like a personal revelation. We, we, we see Jesus kind of hearing from the Father, you are my son. You are my child. I love you. Last week, uh, our text, our gospel text, was, was the prologue in John's gospel, which we typically focus on the first part of that, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there's a lot of things to focus on there, right? And, and through the Word, all things were created. But the heart of that poem, I think, is later where it says, and those who believe in him has been given the power to become the children of God. What an interesting phrase, the power to become the children of God. Did, like, all of you are the child of someone, right? Right? Whether you're naturally born that way or whether you're adopted that way. Did any of you, by your own power, become a child? Did you choose the day you were born? Were you involved at all in your conception? Like, none of that. That's completely outside of our power. No one has the power to become a child. That's, a, that's an oxymoron, or at least it's at least an irony, right? The power to become a child. And children don't really have any power, even more so in the ancient world, right? The Aramaic word for child is a synonym and sometimes used as the word for slave, like a child and a slave is on the same kind of level. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that people in the ancient world didn't treasure their children, but the way in which we kind of imagine kind of the preciousness of childhood was not the same way, at least the language depict, depicted children in the ancient world. Children were penniless. Children were powerless. At one point in the gospel, Jesus will say that the kingdom of God belongs to the children. That would have struck them strangely too. The kingdom of God belongs to the children. Nothing belongs to children. Chil children don't own anything. In fact, children are owned. Children are like property, right, in the ancient world. So the, the power to become the children of God is like doubly ironic. It's ironic because... There's no such thing as the power to become a child. You can't, you can't do it. It's just something that happens to you. And even to have the power of a child also seems kind of senseless because children don't have power. I love it. I, I, I love the, the irony. I, I love the, the mystery that seems to be involved here that it's God who's calling us, right? God is initially calling Jesus, but through Jesus is calling the rest of us, right? that we all become children of God, and that that is the announcement here. Now, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Now, typically, we don't do these kind of really heavy allegorical readings, but I like them. And so, again, if you can indulge me, all of the, the language of the baptism is, is kind of creation language, right? The heavens are opened, right? It's like the beginning. And, and the spirit descends and hovers like a bird. That's kind of Genesis language as well. And um, Jesus is kind of coming out of the water. So the gospel is kind of presenting Jesus' baptism like a new creation, 
like the, the new that has come out of the old, the new that's been restored, that's been redeemed, the new after, after everything was covered with water, something new comes out. So we're studying in our Wednesday night Bible study, we're kind of going through the books of the Bible. Uh, last week and this week we're doing Genesis, next week we'll do Exodus. We're just going to make our way through kind of using the Bible Project videos. But one of the things we said this past week is those first 11 chapters in Genesis is just failure after failure after failure, right? Adam and Eve eat that which they shouldn't. Uh, Cain and Abel, that's a, that's a disaster. Uh, Noah, you know, we like to think of Noah maybe as a positive story, right? Because that's, but that's because we don't finish the story. Um, worse, one of the worst things I think we've ever done is we've presented Noah as a children's story to our children, right? Some Santa Claus-looking figure with the big beard and all the animals. It's like a zoo or something. <laughs> Except we, we just don't keep reading because we all know how the story of Noah ends. And it's in another disaster, right? My oldest child... Well, was a very early reader, and we had sent her away. I, I shared this on Wednesday night. I'll share it again uh, for those that you were here. You get to hear it twice. Um, we sent her away to a sleepaway camp when she was six years old, which to me now seems ridiculous. A six-year-old is like a small child. They should not be sleeping away multiple nights somewhere else. But anyway, we were young, and she was young, and so we sent her off to church camp. And she slept there, and she had a good time, and she, who knows what kind of sermons she heard uh, or devotions. But she came back, and she'd had this experience with Jesus, and she wanted to read the Bible, and she was a good reader, so we bought her a Bible. So I'm sitting at breakfast one day, and I'm eating my cereal, and she's eating hers, and little Hannah's over in the high chair, not yet able to talk. And Katie said, Dad, did you know that Noah was naked and drunk in a tent? I'm like, give me that thing. <laughs> this is not for children. <laughs> Noah is a story like Adam and Eve. It's like a story like Cain and Abel. It's a story of failure, right? Noah was supposed to be the new Adam, right? God was, you know, going to start over with this new guy. And he ends up the same way that Adam ends up in failure. And it will happen again, right, with the Tower of Babel, another failure, what we need, right, is true sonship, true daughtership. We need the, a deliverer. And the deliverer, of course, comes in, in Jesus. But this is, here's the story. Here's the allegorical reading. Uh, the, the, according to the story, the, the globe gets covered with water, right? And Noah's on the ark, and he sends out a dove. And the dove never returns, Right? That's how he knows it's time to, to leave. Well, the dove that got sent out, the allegorical reading of Scripture would say, eventually rests on the new creation, which is at the baptism of Jesus. We're not reading this historically. We're, we're reading this narratively, that the dove is, is uh, image of the Spirit, and it rests on the new creation, this new place that we're all headed, Right? Like, we're in this world, and we're, in a lot of ways, we're part of it, right? We are creatures, part of God's good creation. But God's creation is, is broken and marred and damaged. It needs to be redeemed and restored and renewed. 
And the way in which God is doing that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that Jesus becomes the agent of new creation. And so that as we follow Jesus, we become parts of that, right? We are like Christ. We're we're followers of Christ. He's he's the first, uh, Revelation will speak of him as the firstborn of the dead, right? And then we will also follow him. So like in Jesus's baptism, Jesus goes down into the water, right? That's, that's, a, that's a burial. That's a, bab- that's a death. But then he comes up out of the water. That's a resurrection. That's a life. And so we too then are baptized, right? We are baptized into water. And when we go down into the water, we're identifying with Jesus and our death. And more importantly, his death, right? Because your death actually won't do you any good. You've heard the idea that Jesus died on the cross so I wouldn't have to? Well, even if you died on a cross, what good would it do for you? You'd just be dead. <laughs> like, your death can't save you, and it can't save anyone else, right? There's nothing you can sacrifice. Your, your, your nearest and dearest thing, you, could, you can't sacrifice your own child if you were willing to do child sacrifice. That wouldn't save you. You couldn't sacrifice yourself. That wouldn't save you. Right, the only thing that can save us is Jesus. Right, so as we go down in the water, it's not even our own death that we're identifying with. It's the death of Christ. But here's the good news. He comes up out of the water. And so do we. Right, the minister doesn't just hold us down there. <laughs> That'd be awful, wouldn't it? When I was in seminary, I was in this pastoral theology class, and the professor was telling us the story of a friend of his who was in a tradition that practiced a different form of baptism. It was, um, they, you know, it was sprinkling, and so whether they poured a little bit of water on the child's head or even as an adult, right? But this minister in this other tradition had someone who wanted to be immersed, but he had never done it before, so he came to my seminary professor to get some advice, like, how do you do it? And so he kind of walked him through some of the mechanics, like what to do and how to stand and shift your weight. And, and so... He went, my professor, went to see the baptism because this was going to be a new phenomenon at this church. They were going to practice immersion. And so the minister, this is a true story, takes the person, and you have, you have the words of baptism, right? You confess that you believe in God and in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and in the Holy Spirit. And then you denounce, you denounce the devil and, and evil and those works, right? <laughs> Except my friend says the, the minister who had not done many immersions or maybe any baptizes the person and then says the words I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit the guy's like kicking you know (laughs) the things you learn right say the words first and then you dunk (laughs) so the idea here is in baptism We are set free from our true enemies. Our true enemies are not the folks who live down the street. They're not the folks who look a little different from you. They're not the folks who have a different passport. They're not the folks who vote in a different political party. They're not the folks who root for the opposing team. That's not your enemy. Paul, the apostle, will say that we battle against, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Our true enemy, the true enemy of creation, of humans, is sin and death. 
And this is the enemy that is being conquered in Christ. And in baptism, we again are identifying with that victory. We go down into the waters of baptism. And as we come up, we are set free from sin. Now, there is another resurrection. The resurrection out of the water is, is not the end, right? It doesn't mean you're resurrected and now it's done. <laughs> it's the beginning. Baptism is, a, is, is an initiation. You're, you're coming into the family. You're coming into the kingdom. I don't want to get too graphic here, but it is, it's like in a birth where there's the breaking of water, right? And then the baby comes. That's the idea. Water is being broken. We're moving through. We're coming out. We're new. We're kind of newborn. So, but in the baptism, this is what Christian theology has always taught us. In baptism, we come up out of baptism free from sin, and then we look forward to our bodily resurrection when we will be free from death. So we're already freed from sin, but we will be freed from death so that in Christ we are freed from sin and death. The, um, that idea that when you go through the waters, I am with you, right? The rivers will not overcome you. When you pass through the fire, it will not consume you. That God is with us, right? We know with us in the fire makes us think of the Daniel story, right? Of um, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the water story, the water images kind of run through Scripture. And it's always a metaphor for chaos. Like, in the, in the, again, in the creation story, there's just water. There's an air. There's, it's just nothing right? Or it's, it's, it's chaos. And, and God enters the chaos to bring order and kind of separates it. But then the, the water of the flood is, is destructive. Um, the Red Sea is this barrier, right? And it, it parts for Moses. The Jordan River is the same way, right? They can't get across. In Job, uh, water is talked about that which overcomes and that which destroys and that which kind of holds the, the danger and the darkness. So one of the descriptions of God is God is so great and God is so powerful and God is so other that the, the monsters of the deep are pets for God, right? The Leviathan, some, I don't know, Godzilla-looking creature. It's like, like God's pet. So this, when we get to the New Testament, it's much the same way. Jesus walks on the water, right? Jesus calms the storm. Um, in the Gospel of John especially, the, the water imagery is so, so, so strong. Like Jesus turns the water into wine, and then he tells um, the woman at the well, I can give you living water. And then he tells the paralyzed man, do you need help getting down into the water? And then he tells the group in chapter 7, out of you will flow rivers of living water, which is the spirit of God. And then he washes their feet with water. And then on the cross, when his side is pierced, it says, out comes water and blood. And then in 1 John, it says, these are the witnesses of the water and the blood. And then we get to Revelation, the first vision of the new city, it says there's a sea of glass, of crystal. So 
I can remember hearing that when I was little, and I'm thinking, a sea of glass? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> but for those of you who fish or who ski, water ski, you know, you know exactly what this means, right? It's not white capping. It's not choppy. It's, you know, when the lake is super smooth and you can see the reflection of the trees or the mountains in the lake? We, we say it's glassy. Like if you're teaching somebody to water ski, it's easiest to teach them when the water is smooth. So the idea is that the, the sea of crystal means it's glassy, means it's smooth. It's not tumultuous. It's not problematic. So much so that when you get to the end of Revelation and it talks about this, the new city, it says there is no sea. Now, for those of you who like to boat, don't worry about that. It's a metaphor. <laughs> It doesn't mean that the, like, the oceans are going to dry up and there's just going to be some valley to walk down into. It's, it's a metaphor, meaning that the danger will be gone. The tumult will be gone. That which can destroy you will be gone. But one of the key things I want to make sure um, you leave with here today is that Jesus doesn't avoid the water, Right? As Isaiah said, when you pass through the water, I am with you. When you go through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. When you go through the fire, it won't consume you, right? Not if, but when. Our lives are fragile. We are finite. But God is with us. Maybe especially in the hard times. So there's a few things that I, I want you to know. One is we're going to have a baptism in late February. And if you have not been baptized, we would love to um, do that for you, right? We would love for you to be baptized. Uh, two is I want you all to realize that when someone else is being baptized, you are not a spectator of that baptism. That's To watch somebody else be baptized isn't just for you to see something happen. As a Christian, you're bearing witness to their baptism. Because the person who's being baptized is being baptized not just into water, but into the body of Christ. And all the rest of us who have been baptized have already been baptized into Christ. We had our baptismal vows. Someone asked us, do you believe in Jesus? And we said, yes. And they said, well, you should be baptized, right? So we took a vow of baptism of some sort. That's, that's part of the baptismal process. And as they're taking their baptismal vow and being baptized... It's an opportunity for us to both celebrate the fact that they are being it, bear witness to it. That's a Christian activity, to bear witness. But then also it's an opportunity for us to kind of renew our vows, to, to commit ourselves again to um, Christ. Have you seen the practice, uh, some people do this, of renewing their wedding vows? You're familiar with this? Some people do it at like 25 years or 50 years, what have you. It's not uncommon. I, th I think it's common enough that you've probably heard of it. Uh, a wedding is, is also a Christian sacrament, right? It's two people kind of committing themselves to one another. People who renew their wedding vows are not getting remarried. I mean, they're already married. They're, but they are kind of renewing their vow commitment. I would say the same thing at a wedding. When you go to a wedding, you're not just a guest, I mean, I guess at a civil wedding you are, but at, at a Christian wedding you're not a guest. You are, you are a witness. You're bearing witness to these vows that are being committed. 
And if you are a married person, it is an opportunity for you to remember your own vows, right? To commit to those. I, I'm saying these things. I'm making my commitment to you, right? So we're going to have a baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, we would love to baptize you and happy to talk with you more about that. But all of you, I want you to be here that Sunday so you can bear witness to it and you can renew your vows. Now, lastly, to I think the main point of this video is what is going on in Jesus' baptism is at least part that Jesus is not avoiding the chaos. Jesus doesn't hover over the water, <laughs> right? Like when, when they go to put Jesus down in the water, it wasn't like the, the water parted. Right, and he hit he hit the the ground of the Jordan River, <laughs> right? Like like if, if Moses had been baptized, water didn't always part, right? I, I saw this. Um, I, I don't know if it actually was. Oh, what's the po popular uh, cartoon? The comic strip, Far Side. Um, I think it was a Far Side, and it was like Moses's mom trying to put him as a toddler into the tub, but each time she set him into the tub, the water parted. So it doesn't really work that way, right? With Jesus, it doesn't work that way either. He goes down into the water. But that's, that's a question that the early church really struggled with. Right? If John's baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins, why does Jesus go to get baptized? The New Testament dances around this, right? So Matthew will say, well, he does it to fulfill righteousness. Mark doesn't dance. He just says, John was baptizing for repentance of sins, and Jesus went and got baptized. And everybody was like, don't say it like that. <laughs> like, I think Mark wrote first, and everybody's like, no, 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 say something else. <laughs> and so Luke will talk about Jesus being baptized, but doesn't mention that it was John who baptized him. And in the Gospel of John, who's probably the last gospel written, he doesn't mention Jesus' baptism. Like, that, he mentions that John says, behold the Lamb of God, but does it mention that Jesus got baptized? Like if we only had the gospel of John, we would not know of whether or not Jesus got baptized. So you can see how much they struggle with it. There's another gospel. It's a non-canonical gospel. It's called the gospel of the Hebrews. It, it, it hits it the hardest. So in the gospel of the Hebrews, when it got to this story, um, a family member of Jesus comes and says, hey, John is baptizing the Jordan for repentance to sin. We, your mom, brothers, and sisters, are all going down to get baptized. Let's go. And Jesus says, well, why would I need to go? I haven't sinned. So, so it begs that question. So this is what the early church did with it. I think Irenaeus was the first. He said the reason that Jesus gets baptized is not to have his sins forgiven because he hasn't sinned. But Jesus does get baptized for the forgiveness of sins because it's Jesus who needs to go into the water to cleanse it. The baptism of Jesus doesn't cleanse Jesus. He's already clean. The baptism of Jesus cleanses the water and makes the water appropriate to cleanse the rest of us. It changes regular H2O into kind of a holy H2O. Water that cleanses us all. And I think that's exactly how it works. Sin doesn't have an effect on God any more than darkness has an effect on light, any more than dirt has an effect on soap, right? The soap cleanses the dirt. The light expels the darkness. God expels the sin. 
So Jesus goes down into the water to deal with sin and death. The image here is that while Moses might have parted the water and they walked through and then the water came and consumed Pharaoh and his armies, Jesus goes down into the water, into death, and is there with Pharaoh and his armies. He's there with the enemy of Israel because he's there to save them. Because he's not just our God, he's the God. He's the Son, the Beloved. And it's through him that we will all receive life. So when we go down into baptism, there's a very real way in which we are called to identify with those who might otherwise be our enemies. We're called to identify with the other. We, we, we are raised from the water as immigrants into a new nation, into a new creation following Jesus, no longer identified by any of the old boundary markers, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, neither um, Jew nor Greek, no longer identified by our nation, no longer identified by our politics, but identified by our devotion to Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is the Christian gospel. This is what we're called to. It is, it is a story of liberation. It is a story of, of rescue. Um, it's a story of life, abundant life. And that's what we're called to. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.